time. I was going to come up with some kind of cool slogan like, welcome to this week's episode of This is Happening on the Farm, but I didn't really get that together. Hmm. What does hmm mean? I'm just disappointed. I've got to have a talk with you anyways. Did you, has anybody ever told you that you're a slurper? A slurper. Like, what do you mean? When you, have you, yes. Have you, have you listened to him drink? I have not. Yesterday was the first time that I, when we were coming back into the valley, when you told me your water tasted well, (laughs) like we're driving down the road and I can just hear this. You know, I was doing that on purpose, right? No. Is that what I do? But I was sitting there. Yeah, you were doing that. And I was oh, just, yeah. I, I was driving down the road and I was like, I was doing that on purpose to see if you'd notice. I think he did it once and then he did it again. And I was like, why the hell is he drinking like this all the time? It's driving me crazy. But at the same time, I was like, you know what? I'm going to give Brandon just a little bit of grace. I'm not going to hammer him on the, fa- I'm that kind of person that if you're sitting at a table and somebody like I've got family members, like when they're eating, you can hear them. They're like, mm. 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 you know, like, like you, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, obviously you enjoy your food, but I don't need to hear you every time you take a bite of it. Like I was doing it on purpose to see if you or Jesse would notice. Oh, well I noticed. And I was waiting for you to say something. Did you watch the speedometer? We went from 83 to 95 pretty fast. I was like, I've got to get out of this truck. Well, and then that's when I went, "Mm, this is good water. Oh, so now it makes sense. It was totally staged. Totally. Time will tell. Well, you've heard me drink before. Yeah. Slurpy McSlurperson. No, I mean, like, (laughs) jeez. I'm so sorry for y'all's ear holes right now. I guess just rough listening to this. Mudge, what's cracking? No, we same old same today. We don't have so Chato far. in today, so it's we got we got the GM of Chaffee, we've got old Mister MJ, and then we got the GM of the farm, Brandon, um, going over our farm report. It's uh, not not much has changed, but a lot has changed. Yeah. All right. I think the the pace has changed. That's for sure. Absolutely. The pace has changed. Okay, Brandon. So roll us in. We're done with grapes. Done with grapes. They go. Thank you, Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. Actually came in better yield than we thought. Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, we set a record. Yeah. And that's, um, that's a big thing. Good job, Philip. Yeah. That's, that's in to, to, yeah, it's just, we're excited. Yeah. Uh, so we got cotton defoliated. We'll start here. Some of it. Some of it. Yeah. Yeah. We got enough to get us started next week. Both pickers are here. Yeah. Both pickers are here and looks like they're just about ready to go. Okay. We got the chili harvester back. Yeah. It's just about ready to go. We'll start chili harvester. So we don't, we don't hand harvest our chili. We actually, we pick it with a machine and the machines that we have were on our old row spacing of 32 inches. So we had to send them over to a company, to a machine shop and have them cut them up and widen the spacing, which is essentially completely rebuilding the whole front end of these machines. They look really good. Yeah, they did a really good job. Yeah, I'm excited. Hopefully everything's straight so we don't just burn through some bearings. But I mean, it, it looks it looks promising at least to get started picking chili. It looks good. And the guys running it said it looks good. So when are you... Um, when are you going to try to pull the cotton pickers in the field? Uh, probably not till middle and the next week. There's still some green leaf in there. Yeah, we've got we've got some weather changes coming, which has got MJ over here on the other side a little bit nervous. Um, but we do have wind. So are you going to try to knock some more leaves off and take advantage of that wind? Or are you just going to hold tight? I think we'll just hold tight for now and then just kind of see how much we can get defoliated. And then I'm going to be gone at the beginning of the week, but leave that up to Jesse. Make oh, not only does Ross go on vacation, you're going to vac- vacation too, right? Mm. Tahiti? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Montana, <laughs> Tahiti, whatever. Same Sammy thing. Swami Samsonite, it was way off. Yeah. Uh, so, baby Elf Elf is looking phenomenal. What's Oh, so, so oh. executive director over here, what would be the advantage of the wind? So what, what happens with cotton is your your yield is is one thing, but your grade is a, another huge component to that. So you want to make sure that you have the best grading cotton, the better the quality of course, the better the price is right now, this time of year, the plants are still alive. And so they still have leaves on them. So before we can get the cotton bowls to open up, we want to go in and we want to defoliate, meaning drop the leaves off of them and have the cotton bowls open up. But if you spray to knock the leaves off, and sometimes this time of year, it's hard to get the leaves to completely fall. You can spray right in front of a windstorm and when the wind hits the leaves are already brittle and they just blow off the plant and it leaves you with a very clean cotton field and then your grades you don't have as much trash in the cotton so your grades will go up yeah there you go stick that in your your smoking pipe and <laughs> however that works yep Maj, you're a little bit nervous about this we're going to be 98 tomorrow 
for a high and then we're going to drop the the low 70s high 60s yeah that's uh that's going to affect our drying time significantly uh next week because even though uh we come up on tuesday we don't come up a lot the rest of the week we're going to stay low 70s so with with the way and the style that you've been cutting the last it seems like you've been running four weeks straight i mean you guys are running like a freight train but you've the weather's stayed pretty consistent between 83 and 93 for the last three weeks so it's been kind of robotic yeah how big of a change and how hard is it for you with your chopping is it to change to make sure that you still have the plant fed and how are you doing as far as is catching up to where we need to be at the plant. So we're making a lot of progress catching up at the plant. You know, every every day we're gaining a lot of ground. Um, a lot of that has to do with the weather staying so consistent here recently. But uh, with the, the changing weather, we're going to have to completely change how the field operates. So the, the guys out there have to be really fluid, open to trying things that would never work mm-hmm. any other time of the year. But you know, we're going to have to lay a lot more down earlier in the day, change up how we rake it. it it's everything. That's going to be, it's going to be a little, little bit of hit and mess there to figure out what's going on. Yeah. You know, we, we might lose a little bit of hay first day, getting it dialed back in. So That's we're, we're doing acceptable. We're doing some. <laughs> okay, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing a lot of, we're doing a lot of, uh, marketing right now uh, with the Chaffee product. But not only that, we're doing a lot of marketing with who we are as a farm, um, kind of the direction that we're going. Yesterday, Brandon, you, I, and uh, Jesse went down uh, on the border to go learn about some regenerative ag. Um, This is something that I implemented uh, when I got to Dell City, but this is something that you know a lot more about what is the direction of the farm we want to talk about regenerative agriculture and and bettering our soils what is i mean when do you feel like the farm is going to be at a spot as we're marketing not only chaffe and the and the crops that we're growing but where are we going to get to a spot where we can say man the inputs that we're doing are are nothing but beneficial to what we're doing because at the same time we're still doing some older practices that we're trying to get away from yeah and that's a good question because old habits die hard yeah it's because i asked it <clears throat> and so <laughs> <laughs> i've thought about it quite a bit and how do we get to that point and coming into an area where the system is very high in tillage and very prone to wanting to till to try to get that mindset almost flipped to where we can, the less we touch it, the better it is. And so I'm thinking about three to five years, we'll be in a spot where we can say, we are doing regenerative ag. Yeah. Where, where we can say, we are doing minimal tillage. We're doing everything to feed the soil, feed the plant and create a long-term ecosystem within that soil. But financially speaking, we're not at a spot where we can just rip the bandaid off and say, oh, well, tomorrow we're going to be organic and we're never going to touch it with a river again. No. And and even if we did have the finances, we couldn't do it because this is a long term building thing. So it's like it's like your health when you're trying to get healthy. You just can't say, OK, I'm, I'm going to be healthy tomorrow and then you're healthy. No, it's a it's a lifestyle change. And in farming, it's a farming practice change. Yeah, absolutely. And, and out of that, not only are we hoping to build our soil because we know it's going to add tonnage to what you're doing MJ on your side, but just as a company and feeling better that we're making decisions that are going to build up what we are. If, if one of our kids decides they want to be farmers or if, you know, someday down the road, the sixth generation behind us says, man, if it wasn't for the stuff that these guys did, we look at it right now. Our ground's poisoned. Yeah. And I don't think it's done on purpose. It's just, no, it's not, it's not like we're trying to do it. It's just, that was what was working at the time, one of the biggest things, and we, we got to get done with this wrap up, but one of the biggest things that I took away from yesterday is when they talked about when we started using nitrogen and how at first they saw this huge, gigantic boost in yield because it it's something that the plant was able to use and uptake and whatever. And now we've gotten to a point, it's just like nicotine, it's just like alcohol, it's just like a drug, it's just like anything else. Once you've built dependency on something, it's really hard to get away from it. And so for us with nitrogen use, it's trying to figure out, you know, we want to impact our environment for the better, but the way that we have to do that is in a lot of steps. It could be three, could be five, could be 10 years for us to be able to get to a system that we're not having to use things like that. Yeah. And it's not like we'll go away from it. It's just getting it to work more efficiently and actually getting the results from it. We're, we're launching on, on Chaffee, um, 
we're, we're going to have a new size product come out. And, um, with the way that the weather's holding and stuff like that, it looks like you're going to have an opportunity to run some of that. Yeah. The way the weather's looking, I think we're going to get uh, a good opportunity to make a good run on that smaller bag. With the, with the amount of robotics and everything that we've put in the, the capital that we've put into the business this year, um, has it run the way that you thought it would run? Not even close. Worse? Well, not, I wouldn't say worse, you know, it's a learning curve. You know, you want to think that you can bring all this equipment in and it's going to be easy. You'll know how to run it right away. So it's taken a lot to, to learn the equipment and it's taken a lot more people to run an automated plant than we ever thought it would. Right. It's not like we were, and that's what people were like, well, you're just going to automate the plant and you're going to get rid of all of these people. We didn't get rid of anybody. No, we had to bring more on um, and train the ones we had. So those of you that are looking to automate your operations, you're not replacing people. No, you're just changing the role of the person. We had this conversation yesterday at that farm we were at, too. Yeah, we did. It wasn't replacing people, but training people. And one of the downsides is now you have to keep those trained people busy 12 months out of the year. Yeah, we're going to get that done, though. We still have so much work to do at that plant. Oh yeah. It's not even, not even funny. So we've increased automation, but we've actually increased employment, not reduced it. So we've actually created a more stable job for these employees. We, we have. And I think the, and the safer jobs, safer and quality of life for the employees, I feel is up because the manual labor they were having to do before they're not having to do. Wow. This is a big old farm ego stroke. I'm patting myself on the back. That's kind of an awkward <laughs> pat, wasn't it? Here, I'll pat you. No, don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got anything else you want to throw on? Just yeah. be good people. Alpha Alpha's rocking and rolling. Oh yeah. It looks beautiful. Oh, it does look pretty. I just want to go take a nap in it. It looks so good. That's a good idea. Uh, no. Oh. Okay. From all of us uh, on the farm at Chaffee at Pivotal, that's something we got to talk about. Maybe next time. Yeah, we'll start talking about Pivotal. Now we're pivoting into Pivotal. Why are we whispering? I don't know. Because it's a secret. Stay tuned. Today's podcast is going to get completely out of control. Um, Like, I don't even know where to begin. It it goes from zero to 150, like, really fast. As soon as you start. As soon as we start. Like, I don't even know where to go with this. So just stay tuned to today's podcast. It's it's talking about the border, talking about religion, talking about just hang on. Here it comes. There we go. I kind of feel like this is the way that we're supposed to start this podcast off. I know that Daniel's going to put in some really good looking music. Can you have good looking music? I mean, the in the in studio guests are already at it. If oh you, yeah! If you can't feel it, Daddy, just Daddy, da. mm-hmm. it's the mm, 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 mm. Yep. Uh, see, we're there. <laughs> if you're not ready for this episode of Out Here in the Middle, then I don't know what to tell you. Go ahead and crack a monster. Let the sugars just flow in. You might want to shotgun a sparkling water. That just doesn't even sound fun. It just sounds like it's going to get stuck like right in the middle of your first intestine. <laughs> Any tips, Lou, on nutrition? Uh, just make sure it's a zero calorie monster, you know. Okay. Zero calorie monster. The they white make those? ones. The white ones, Jay. That's racist. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Blue ones are good, too. Blue and white. I like the, I like the juice ones. Are those bad for you? Lots of sugar. Well, look at my body. So you'll already know what's going on. The, (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't make it awkward. I'm sitting between the husband and wife team right now out here in the middle episode 21, I believe. You're way off. I'm way off. There's the rodeo. There's a rodeo. The one we just shot with Sid. Do you want that as a bonus or do you want that? That's a bonus. Okay. So we're in episode 19. Yes. Wow, I was way Sammy Swami Samsonite again. This is episode episode three hundred and sixty five, also known as nineteen. <laughs> I've got in studio today. We had to smuggle them across the border. We put them in the trunk of a Buick, um, and I picked them up on the other side of Palomas in Columbus, New Mexico. Uh, but for your entertainment pleasure, El Vikingo Bronson Bluth and his magnificent other half Lou Bluth. Buenos dias, buenos dias. Hello. See, and that's the thing is, I mean, with you guys, 
I, I kind of feel like I need to go towards that Nueve 3.8, you know, radio voice where it's, uh, <laughs> gracias por, gracias por escuchando 103.5, la planeta más completa de transmitiendo allá en El Paso, Texas. And it's not, no. That's right on. That's right on. 104.9. Yeah. Where, where, I forgot what they are. Hola, raza. Okay. So, <laughs> El Vikingo on Instagram. Yes, sir. Um, I'm wearing this hat. I know you guys can't see it, but it's got a real nice bushy red beard. It uh, matches his face. The guy's chiseled out of granite. And his life story is a solid one as well. See how I'm doing the play on words there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How's it solid. Make, how, I mean, have you sat on a podcast before? Never have. Okay. Been invited, but I, you're the first. You're my first. Huh. Ooh. Cherry is popped. I was uh, it's just very. <laughs> <laughs> Applause goes for the first uh, inappropriate comment to Lou. Round three. Uh, I'm blushing under the beard. All right. Well, that's a good thing. Everything's red. <laughs> I mean, so, I so if, if, if I was to walk into a restaurant in Denver and I was to introduce myself to the two of you, I would be like, oh, well, he's a lumberjack from Washington and uh, she's a nutrition coach and supermodel um, from Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. All right. Because you've got, you got some country charm. At the same time, you rock what you got, Lou. Oh, yeah. And then and then Vikingo looks like he just wakes up every morning and just rips a tree down and turns it into <laughs> toothpicks for fun. Oh, you have no idea. I, That's a daily morning deal. How did you know? Uh, it's a intuition. No, it was on. No, it was Instagram. Oh, yeah. I stalk you. Mm. So why in the why in the world would we have? These two Mexican nationals? Is that how you would identify? I am in Mexico. I was born in Mexico. Nueva Casas Grandes. Nueva Casas Grandes. Yes, sir. One of the prettiest towns I think I've ever been to. It is beautiful. It is, it a, is beautiful. It is a gorgeous spot in the world. Lou's looking at me like, you lost your mind. I like Nueva Casas Grandes. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's nice. It's a nice place. Well, Dublin, she's from East where Texas. We lived, Dublin, the street where we lived on was really gorgeous, too. But yeah, the town's great. We loved it. We loved every minute of living there. So you guys, you guys have got a very dynamic story in the fact that, and, and we're going to dig into the story, but at the same time, um, again, just the way that somebody's mind would think about it, I wouldn't see you guys either as Mexico, Mexican. Like, I just don't, I don't put that together. No, Daniel, our producers over there. Daniel, would you? Yeah. Oh. He has the... He has a white complexion from Mexico. You mean the the red one? No, no, no. Like kind of like, I guess you're Franchi. Franchi. That sounds like your bulldog. I can see. I don't know. He's got what one I butt am. cheek. <laughs> I have yeah. no idea what I am. And so, yes, he does have one butt cheek. Havelinas. So Havelinas <laughs> got us got their bulldog and one nalga. Um, you guys farm. Yes. Um, you work out like a bunch of mad people, Lou, you've got a, a nutrition program that you help people kind of get their act together and, yep. and then you guys are in the Instagram world. You're just free spirited. You're all you, you do what you do and you're unapologetic about it. And I think that's, what's amazing about you. And I think that's why we want you in a studio today. First of all, what's it like living in Mexico and farming? Um, it's I love it. First of all, I love it. It's a it's a different ball game. It's a different country, different politics, different everything. There's there's certain freedoms you get there that you don't get in the U.S. There's, OK, what are those freedoms? Well, you can uh, jump in the razor, drink and drive and not get pulled over. OK, um, another freedom. <laughs> we like, do that in Dell City. OK, yeah. Del, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's right. Uh, what other freedoms, Lou? What would you say? I just feel like there's not as many rules like the government doesn't regulate things as much as in the U.S. You feel like there's a lot of structure in the U.S. There's a lot more rules and everything's follows the plan. Everything is really applicable. Like or you need you. It's really black and white. Whereas yes. Mexico, everything's kind of like it's not just kind of eh, you can you interpret away. it. A certain way. There's yeah. a lot of gray area. Yes. A lot of gray area in Mexico. And if you're stuck in the gray area, and I've done this before in, in a Baja race where I thought we were going to get shot and our truck was going to get taken. 
um, Federales landed a helicopter and stopped us with a helicopter. Guys get out with machine guns. I'm like, it's over. This is, I, w- I think I was like 20 years old. I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. They just wanted to take a picture. Oh, <laughs> I believe it. I believe that. they took a 100%. picture with, they took a picture with us, with the truck. They all had their guns. I got to hold a gun. It was super cool. Got to sit in a helicopter and then they flew off. I believe it. <laughs> Most of the time when they pull you over, they just like want to say, hi, hey, shoot some guns with us. Let's go shoot some jackrabbits or something. You're American. You know all about guns, you know? Not me. I, I don't don't know much about guns. Yeah, we just drove in his truck around with the gun in the passenger seat, literally. <laughs> hey, I, I just used an yeah. axe. Austin has a machete in his truck. <laughs> I, I fear that more than I do an AR-50. That's a slow death. Yeah. For weeds, right? Yeah. For weeds. Yes. yes. They're um, get stuck in the bushes in Mexico. And no, nobody likes to be stuck in a bush. Another one of our awesome sponsors is Big Frig Coolers. You know, it seems like everybody has a cooler. I mean, if you if you think about it in your garage or in the trunk of your car or in the back of your pickup, we all have coolers. One thing about being a farmer and running around on the roads that we have, I can beat the living crap out of anything that you put in the back of my truck. And I've had a lot of coolers. I did not understand what it was like to have a well-made cooler until I got a Big Frig cooler. I got to meet Brock a while back. He's the owner of Big Frig. Him and his amazing team have gone through uh, trial after trial, making sure that they are putting together the best built cooler that you can buy. The cool thing about Big Frig is you're able to customize your cooler as well. So if you're looking for a personalized logo or if you're looking for something for your company to be on top of that, so that way you're always repping your company, get with the guys at Big Frig. They can do any kind of crazy custom order. Uh, I've got my J-Hill logo on mine and I absolutely love it. Went elk hunting with it, orange rubbed all over it. It still looks absolutely amazing. Go to bigfrig.com. They've got all kinds of awesome things and we support their movement as they support ours. We look forward to the future with Big Frig. And of course, one sponsor that I really can get behind, and I'm so honored to be a part of this great team, Jaffe. Jaffe is a Western-grown forage. It's an alfalfa-based product that's grown in the high desert of West Texas, actually in the shadow of the Guadalupe Mountains, which is the tallest point in the state of Texas. Chaffee is a premium feed in the fact that we take alfalfa and we let biology do what it does best. It jumps in and it breaks down that feed through the culturing process that allow probiotics and all of these microbes to allow this product to be highly digestible by your animal. If you want more information about Chaffee, you can go to Chaffee.com. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram or just stop by your local feed store and ask them about Chaffee. If they don't know anything about it, send them our way. Have them ask questions. Tell them Jay sent you. If you're looking for the right forage for your farm, try Chaffee. So if if you're going to continue on this journey into Mexico, you guys, uh, what do you farm? We right and, now we do we're harvesting cayenne chili pepper. Um, we do onions, all varieties of onions. We do corn, white corn, cotton, and beans. Cotton and beans. Yes, sir. Frijoles es fuerza. I see. Yeah. I so see, yes. beans are power, and that's that's something that. We hold uh, very true to what's going on around here. Um, I do. Where does most of your your products go? Where do they end up? So the corn stays in Mexico. Beans stay in Mexico. Uh, 75% of the onions come out to the U.S. 25% stay in Mexico. All the cayenne chili come out to the U.S., New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Shipped from there to Louisiana and different places. Hot sauce. Hot sauce, baby. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. We should be getting sound bites out of this. We need to be using these sound bites in, in future episodes. So, so you're shipping stuff across the border. Yes. Do you get any flack from American producers? Yes, we do. Um, a lot of the southern New Mexico guys, they just say they don't want us to take over the market because we have cheaper labor and so they give us flack but at the same rate they don't want to admit how much they move into mexico and so it kind of balances itself out but yes we get a lot of flack and i was gonna say i mean it's it's interesting because all of us being on social media we tend to follow a lot of farmers in the midwest and 
and other places that their market is directly affected by their trade relations between Mexico and the United States. Right. And for them, they see you guys as something that's awesome and empowering for people that are close to the border. I keep, I, let's not, let's not beat around the bush here. Right. I've been like, Oh my gosh, how in the world do I compete against the, the blues? Because what do you pay per hour? Uh, we like our guys are harvesting right now. They'll make four to 500 pesos a day. That translates to what? $20, $22 a day in a eight hour day. Right. So you're uh, essentially you're paying a little less than half of what we have to pay. Exactly. And or less. Right. Plus, plus your, do you have food safety audits and all those kind of things that you have to do? And so, all of our stuff is gone. It either goes through Primus, Global Gap, or Senasica. There's three different programs. Okay. So you guys are still doing this. So let's kick the myth out that if it's grown in Mexico, that it's not safe because it is safe. We have to go through a ton of audits. And so we do all the global safety or the Primus or the Senasica. And then once our product gets to the U.S. It does it again. It goes exactly. through USDA inspection. If not, then the load is rejected. We eat the cost, dump fees. We lose everything. We lose it. Right. So the risk to reward is definitely, it's, it's something you have to, to, to factor. Yes. With, with growing a business, talk us, did you always grow up farming? Yes. And so I grew up in Mexico. I was born in Mexico. I moved out to Deming when I was three, three to 18. So I went to high school, elementary, everything in Deming, New Mexico. My dad, the whole time was farming in Ascension, Chihuahua. Once a wildcat, always a wildcat. Oh yeah, baby. (laughs) Oh yeah. 2005 state champ, baby. Yeah. Where's the tattoo for that one? He has a ring. He has a ring. I lost it. Somewhere. (laughs) I lost it. (laughs) Thanks, Walmart, for sponsoring that. <laughs> Deming Walmart. Uh, yeah, and so, yeah, we, I, I, worked all, I worked summers on the farm uh, during the school year. It was all about basketball in school and Deming and farming summers. I never wanted to be a farmer, though. Growing up, I want to get out of the small town, go to the city, be a builder or something. So you did leave, though? Yes. You left for college. So after we gra- after I graduated, I went on a Mormon mission in Toronto, Canada for two years. Everybody hold the door. You're Mormon. Mormones. I used to be Mormon. <laughs> you used to be Mormon. Yes. Coltry, I was raised Mormon. Mm-hmm. And then Lou and I left the Mormon church how long ago? Three years ago. Three years ago. I'm going to get a lot of flack for that. But um, I'm going to be true. I left, but I did go on a Mormon mission in Toronto, Canada for two years. And then after that, I went to the good old school BYU, baby. Okay. So talk, talk to us about going on a Mormon mission. Um, what, what? <sighs> Ask anything, man. It's so well, many roles. Well, that's kind of what I'm, that's kind of what I'm getting at. I don't even know where to start with asking a question because I remember in college, I, so I'm, I was in a band and we ended up all hanging out at the house whenever if I wasn't at the farm or if I wasn't at the onion shed, I probably wasn't in school. And so we were hanging out at the house and we were drinking beer and building something or doing, you know, something. And we would have somebody knock on the door and they would they would ask, you know, hey, can we talk to you about, you know. I think they said Jesus. Jesus, Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith. Oh, yeah. Like Mormon, so, something book like Mormon. That. Yeah. The book of Mormon, you know, whatever. And so the first thing that we wanted to do is we wanted to invite them in. We're like, absolutely. Come on in. So they come in and there's usually a tower of beer cans in the corner, you know, and we're like, can we get you something to drink? And of course the first offer was, can we get you a beer? Right. So you're on a mission I'm sure you've had people do this. Oh, yeah. So so walk us through one of those scenarios. How do you handle a bunch of call? You know, and we weren't. OK, let's be honest. I was probably trying to corrupt them. Right. I, no, I was trying to corrupt them. <laughs> that's what I was. That's I mean, I don't. I understand. Yeah, that was. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I was, you know, I inhaled a lot. If if we. Were to if we're changing roles. And you came into my house and I'm like, hey, man, why don't you have a beer? What's what was the training like? What was the what do you do? How do you hold true to, to spreading the, the, the word? And so 
at, at first would have been we would be talking about it for the whole next week. Man, that guy was cool, man. That was so hilarious. Like he offered us beer, but in the moment would have been like, hey, we probably got to get it go. Um, well, can we teach you? Can we teach you a lesson about Christ? Can we teach you about the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith? Yeah, see, and we went through a couple of those. And so like, we would say, okay, you want to teach us something? You know, everybody, get around, sit down. We're going to listen to the Mormons, you know, and and not, this is not to pick on Mormons. This is just the way that things were working. And they would, I mean, those those guys would just, Hammered out. I mean, robots, man. I mean, just like a robot. Exactly. We we push right through that. But all the all the jokes aside, we want to get the message across. We're just trained to just it's kind of really robotic. Looking back, I think it's hilarious. You're selling a product. I mean, you know, they're selling a religion and there's a lot of training that goes into that, which you didn't get into. And there's a ton of rules. I mean, you're. So did you have to go on a mission, too? I didn't. Uh, I could have, but men are required. You copped out. It's a requirement. Out. I did. I, I got to. married when I was 18, so I didn't really have time. That's what I'm talking about, Lawrence. You scooped in there and we're like, hey, girl. Hi. Oh, yeah, dude. All that BYU man's competitive up there. I had to get her first. That's the thing is I was reading a stat at BYU about um, the average age and marriages. I mean, that... that, that well, that thing is like a stamp book, man. I mean, there's marriages created every minute. When abstinence Producers. is um, the only way to go, then you kind of got to take care of that. You are so lucky, Lou. Look at what you I mean, even if I mean, if if you guys were wanting to get married just because you had the opportunity to get freaky. Look at the genes you made. I lucked out. Yeah, I, I mean, freaking lucked out. I don't know what I was doing. I was I was a horny virgin at BYU. Couldn't focus on school. I saw Lou and I was like, man, let's get married. I don't know what marriage is about. I don't know what I'm about to do, but I'm I, I need to fix this problem. <laughs> I need to, <laughs> No, I, we seriously got married because it was like our bishop it made us needed to happen because we were we were completely fully. A hundred percent Mormons. Like we followed the rules to the T. We believed in it a hundred percent. Again, I want to put a disclaimer into this too. If you are Mormon and you listen to this, this is not me picking on either the blues or the fact that you're Mormon, but there is so much that goes on about the faith of or Mormonism that, that I truly don't know. Right. And I want you guys, I mean, you guys have taken a bold step and said, Hey, we've stepped away from being Mormon. Um, and the repercussions that have followed, um, I, I've seen it on both of your faces in discussions before. It's not right. an easy thing that's happened. So I don't want to make light of the whole situation. But at the same time, I want to know why. Like, why Why in the world would you, why in the world would you, well, <laughs> I, it's, let's go ahead and rewind for a second. If we are, that was pretty good. That was oh, damn good. good. Thank you. Been working on my rewind. Orale. Um, so we've got we've got you two married at 18. How old were you? 22. 22. A little more experience. Yes. In what? Is nothing. I was gonna say, I was gonna I say was you just told us. And I was a virgin. <laughs> a virgin mission. Virgin. We were both virgins when we got married, babe. Fist, Fist pump, pump or not. <laughs> um so not. you went to Vancouver, served your mission at what age? I was 19. You were 19 for two years. Two years. Two years. Did you get paid? No pay. You, you got to pay, pay your it. own way. You got to pay for it. Well, then how do you survive for two years? Beans and rice and a lot of ramen noodles. You, and but, but people would invite us to eat. No, the member, the members of the church, like, give them a meal. Oh, oh, well, but still, I mean, so where do you live? In a basement apartment in the ghetto. All the cockroaches in the, the, the Dude, I was in the ghetto the whole who, time. Who owns that? Uh, the church would just rent it out. So you pay basically a missionary pays 10,000 bucks out of his pocket. And then the church covers the rest. And you just, you just, you're slinging Joseph Smith. Oh yeah. All day. And Bronson was, I mean, I was all in. Heart, I was all your heart in. was all in that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and talking about Mormonism, I got all the respect in the world for all Mormons. I mean, my parents love them, love them. So I just have to put that as a disclaimer, but man. absolutely. And yeah, we, yeah, Mormon we missionaries, it. no joke. I mean, it's it's rough. A lot of rules. I mean, it's it's harder. It. I, I prefer working my ass off all day farming uh-huh. than 
working my ass off as a missionary. You know, and one thing, too, that I would like to do is uh, when we finish this, if someone's listened to this, I would like to speak to somebody that's still in the Mormon church. Oh, yeah. And 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 cross reference these things. Not like it's a fact check because CNN does a good enough job of that for us. We can we I want to know kind of what their thought is of you guys leaving. What do you think of that? Luisa is just looking at me like, don't do it. No, I think it's a good question. I think with my experience, it has made people feel a lot of different emotions when they see someone leave that religion because it, I've seen that it kind of causes them. Yeah. To feel threatened in a way. Right. And uh, you know, so I I consider myself a Christian. I, you know, I, I do not walk the perfect walk, but at the same time, I do have a belief in a higher being that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I I do believe those kind of things. And I've had plenty of friends that have said, you know what? I don't believe in that. That's not, that's not the role that I, I run in. And at the same time, my opinion is you're you. And if you're not going to do exactly the way that I see it straight every single day, if you're not going to be a, if you don't believe in Jesus, if you're not a Christian, who am I to sit here and say that you're not going to be my friend or not going to be a part of it? Or if you believe in something different, but I think we've seen that in, in certain instances that people kind of shun you. Oh, hundred percent. So yes. you guys, you, we're, we're, we're going back. You're married. You've, you've finished your mission. I mean, and you're in. I mean, you're all in. You're well, all in. I started doubting on my mission. A little bit. OK, like so what, what 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 was the what was the creep of of fear that was starting to get in? And so as a missionary, I was in Toronto, Canada. And so you have a yeah, people. Yeah. A, you have people from all over the world in Toronto. So I was sitting in the houses of Hindus, Hindis, Muslims, Catholics, Baptists, and everybody's right. Agnostics, mm-hmm. atheists. Everybody's right. And I've so never like, been wrong. And so, and so I'm thinking like, am I right? Like these guys are all in, in their religion or their beliefs. Am, am I as well? Like I was all in, but now these guys have the same conviction as I have. And so then I started down, like, maybe these people are right. You know, maybe I should open up my mind a little bit. And so that's when the doubts started coming in. And, and walk us through so you're not married yet. Nope. You go back to school at BYU. BYU. Yeah. So you're you're back there. Louisa, walk us through where you're at in life when you when you meet El Vikingo. I had literally just left home. Um, and home was where? Home at the time was actually in McAllen, Texas, where uh, Michelle is from. He just did a podcast with her. Did you know Michelle? We went to the same high school. I oh. did not know her, but we went to the same high school. That's the high school I graduated from. Dynamite comes in small packages. Yes, sir. <laughs> so if you if you are and you're full Mormon. Yeah, completely. My my dad was a, is a military guy. Very um, black and white um, military kind of just sums it up how his mindset works. And so that was my only option. And I, I believed it hundred percent wholeheartedly went to school, had just left home for the first time, literally met him within a month of leaving home, started dating. How long, how long did y'all date? We dated four months. We're engaged. And then we got married in four months. So a total of eight months eight, of knowing each other. Eight months. <laughs> a lot of, I feel like I'm sitting between them big force of energy <laughs> it's like sexual tension oh, it was yeah. so with intense. like i don't even know how to like put that like i feel really awkward like you see how red my face is getting right now it's not because we turn the air conditioner off in here it's because you two are like two forces of nature grow a beard baby cover that up i mean it uh, uh. <laughs> see you see i shaved and now I just look like a fat 14-year-old that's graying really bad. I think bad. you look beautiful. Thank you. I feel really bad about my decision and what I've done with my facial hair. But I grew up we're not so about that. Now. Let's get back to the love, baby. All right. Let's get down. The love. Uh, so, so you guys get married at eight months. Now, the crazy thing is me and Katie weren't far behind you. We dated for seven, married in eight. So, I mean, it was, you know, she wanted to live in sin, though. She was really... She was a wild thing, and I was just a good kid. And oh, I'm sure. Oh, poor James. I, 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 I feel for you, man. Best corruption I ever had. Um, so if we are, we're married. We graduate together. Yes. Yes. We both graduate. 2012. What do we graduate with? Construction management. Construction management. I went in for ag business. Canceled the program. 
Couldn't find my people at BYU. There's some guys walking around in boots. I was like, hey, what are you majoring? Construction <laughs> management. All right, let's do it. Yes. So what were you going to do with that? I was, uh, I was a, started off at a field, field engineer in Utah uh, doing data centers. That and sounds then, boring. Yeah, data centers. The construction's fun. The data center is boring. Then I did uh, <laughs> multifamily housing, apartment complexes, condominiums in Houston. Okay. And that's, did you move to Houston because of over here? Uh, no, just good job offer. And then what did you graduate with? Elementary ed education. Elementary ed. You wanted to be a teacher. Yes, sir. Which you still are sort of. Yeah. So I can, I can still teach. Yeah. I've taught for five years. Are your boys homeschooled or they go to school? They're homeschooled right now. Okay. I gotcha. So mom school, mom school. Yeah. I do not recommend homeschooling your own children though. I did. uh, (laughs) I I did three years of homeschool with my mom. How'd that go? Yeah. Sixth, seventh, eighth. We're looking at a bad relationship there for a while now. Um, Man, it was not a bad relationship no? for okay. me, for her. I think she wanted to drown me, okay. um, but it's, it's okay. I'm, so I'm normal then. Oh yeah, okay. absolutely. Absolutely. It's totally normal to want to drown your kid if okay. you're trying to teach oh. them like that. I think there's Goodness. probably about 40,000 people listening to this that would say, yeah, we'll do it too. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> so if, if we're in Houston, no kids yet. No, we went to Mexico. First. No, we went straight to Mexico after we graduated straight. Right. Straight there. What in the, and you didn't speak Spanish. I didn't speak any. Well, I had taken, yeah, I knew like a couple verbs, you know. For the whole days. Es fuerza. And I was the first white boy she ever dated. Yeah, that's true. Fun fact. Uh, w- wow. So. I didn't date that much. My dad was in the military. <laughs> that's intimidating. My dad always scared the living hell out of all the guys that my sisters would date. But yeah, we went straight, straight there. This but, guy was rearing and ready to go to the farm. Yeah, but who was who was your who were your previous dates with? Me? Yeah. Oh, we, I lived in McAllen, so it was very Mexican population down there too. Oh, okay. So, All right. Just yeah. like down here, or yeah, Las same, yeah. same I mean, as this I'm, area. Yeah, I got it. It's fun time. I love that. I love Mexican culture. They're just fun people. I think it's our culture, though. Yeah, I think that's the one of the things is growing up in the desert Southwest. It just becomes, you know, people people talk about what they do and sweet corn season, you know, oh, in yeah. the, in the Midwest. And I'm like, it holds nothing to what we do in the Southwest. We're, we're and we're roasting chili, baby. We're roasting chili, roasting baby. Some we are ripping your taste buds out of your head with these hot things. Yes, so you guys moved to Mexico and then why did you leave Mexico? I, I went down to Mexico. Did you join a cartel? Uh, where's the drone at? They're going to shoot me down this. right now. No. I knew this was going to happen. I, I got to go. No, so. we lived there two years. We're, we're at, at the, the farm. farm. On the farm in Asuncion. Same house we live in right now. Okay. Asuncion, Texas. So I went down. Of Mexico. Oh, yeah. So I went down to work with my dad uh, on the family farm. He didn't like that I had a college degree, so he just put me to, like, grunt work just to prove a point. Great dude. Love my dad. Best friend. Freaking awesome. Come a long way. But he had a, he had a, he had to say, you know, get you had a, out, you had get a dirty all day. You, you got to work a lot. You got to get dirty. You're moving up, you know. And so after I, we, we had a good time. We had a good time in Ascension, but then I just kind of wanted to do more with my life. And so you wanted more or you wanted to do more. I wanted more. I wanted more progress. I want, I, I don't like, for example, I was on the farm. I was, I was fixing drip irrigation all day or driving a tractor all day. And I just wanted more of the business. Cause I came up from construction management. I was an engineer up in Utah. I was used to the business aspect of things. And so after two years, me and my dad just had a kind of a falling out. Still love the dude. Dude's amazing. But I was just like, this, this is not working. And so we just picked up and went to Houston and I got a job offer. So let's talk about that for a second, because I think there's so many people that work with family and, and really our generation of people kind of we're not. There's not a whole lot of us out there that are willing to step outside of the norm. The millennial group is just we're real comfortable in. I'm going to inherit something or I'm going to just kind of stay in the same path because, you know, on social media, we're going to make this huge stand that we're some outgoing, unbelievable person. But in all reality, we're probably scared crapless that we don't 
get out of the out of the box. Exactly. So you have this conversation with your dad. I I quit. It was one intense. Time. Okay. It was yeah, intense. and that's what that's what I want to get into. I mean, it was hot, right? I mean, oh. it was almost a brawl. My dad's a tough dude, man. He's a big dude. Well, look at you. It turned oh, out his dad's a lot. Bigger. My dad's a fighter, Olympic um, roper, basketball, pro like basketball. In Mexico. The two of them are throwing all of these things that your dad is between and like that tension is getting in the middle again. He's a tough dude, man. Lou witnessed it because I just had it because he's like, man, he was talking shit about me, my work ethic. Man, I'm busting my ass all day, man. You know, and so I over I overheard what he was saying. So we had a brawl. Literally, Bronson's like, let's take this outside. Hold on. Fist fight. (laughs) Almost, but I was like, come on, talking shit, let's take it outside. And super disrespectful. I regret it, but it was just, I was caught up in the emotion. The 80 year old man that you just got out of the truck with a little while ago, also known as Jim Hill. Yeah. Cool dude. Cool dude. Love him, respect him. The biggest, hardest fight. Well, Ross was pretty tough too. Chato and me, we've, <laughs> we bloodied some knuckles together too. Oh, yeah. But, that's I think there's a lot of that that doesn't happen in families, which is probably a good thing because it's borderline domestic you know, violence. But at the same time, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm smelling what you're stepping in All here. Right. Man. Me and Jim Hill say. have had those knockdown drag outs. He's got a broken finger. Oh, I don't shit. know if you saw that. I did. But that thing has the ability like the tendons are, are like made out of titanium. That now. Left, if it is the left <laughs> index that always wags around. It. It's always wagging. Yeah. And so he could curl that thing. And if he released it on you, Ooh. it was like getting shot by a 308 in the back of the head. Oh. Like, I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. Anyways, going moving on. So you guys are you're hot. You're mad. You, oh, you've yeah. taken it outside. Yep. And, and and what's the discussion? And so I was just like, I'm tired of the shit. You want to talk shit? Let's brawl right now. Let's go. Fist fight. Super disrespectful. And we're yeah, super disrespectful. I was being a punk. Like, I am not like that. I'm very passive person i don't get heated but it was so much build up just dealing with shit and dealing with shit and it just built and what are you saying what are you thinking louisa i mean i it was hard for me to see him go from such a high in utah and such a fun he was he was really into construction he had a lot of passion there and just loved he loves progression but why go to come back to the farm and be like stunted he just felt so stunted there your dad's think, mentality was so different than your mindset. I think so many people still feel that like they don't ever. It's that you had security with your dad. Right. Looking back, it didn't feel like it was security. But at the same time, your emotions were telling you, hey, at least we have a spot that we kind of fit into. And then maybe down the road, this is something that, you know, the old man will eventually wake up and see that I'm worth something and it's going to move on. But 99 percent of the people that I talk to that are going through a halfway similar situation, it never changes. It, right. And all you do is inherit their debt. Exactly. Yeah. So. And so you I'm, split. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm in Utah and I'm going down just because honestly, I just love the hell out of my family and I have roots in farming. Mm-hmm. And then and I know my dad loves me, but we just didn't know how to communicate. We didn't know how to express ourselves. We we're horrible communicators. You know, like when you guys I see how you and your dad communicate, you hug each other. Hey, man, I love you. That is never done in my family. It's taken us years of working to get to that point. And I'm we're on that track now because me and my dad now we're homies. Yeah. Okay, so you split. You're like, we're out of here. Pack yeah. the bags. Next day. Where are you where are you going? We had to prove our point. I, I think like, his point was clear. It was time for us to prove ours, which was we can do this. We don't need the, I don't need a farm. The farm. We don't need this. We had to go prove that to ourselves too. I think we needed to do that for ourselves too. And yeah. And so the next day got a job offer being a superintendent out in uh, Houston, Texas. Great, great company. Next day moved out. And you, you moved to Houston. Yeah. That's where I'm from. Like spent most of my life. So you felt pretty confident about. Yeah. I love that area. Loved the job was great. He enjoyed it. He loved it. I loved it. He was busy. His brain was going. Lots of problem solving. He'd come home just tired, but loved it. Okay. So you're functioning with problems now, but you live in Mexico now. So we're speeding this process up. Oh, hold on. I got a tongue out over here from Lisa. What? Well, this is when the whole like spirituality comes into play. Oh, there's a lot of dynamics coming back. Come on. Who wants to tell the story? You, Lou? (laughs) No, go for it. Daniel, hand me a seatbelt because this is about to get wild. I have a feeling. Oh, yeah. Okay, Lisa. 
Okay, so we're in Houston. We have two kids at this point, um, little babies, and two mini vikingos. Yeah, yeah, cute little guys, love them. And Bronson is ha- has been has been struggling since for the past two years with the Mormon religion and how it relates to him and his soul. And he briefly mentioned it to me when we had first moved to the farm right after leaving, graduating BYU. And I completely shut him down. I was so black and white. I was just like, no, we're not doing this. We're not talking about this. You need to stop reading this kind of information and filling your mind with these lies. And after I had, I had responded in that kind of way, he completely was like, okay, I'm, I can't talk to her about this. It's too emotional. I'll just keep it to myself. And so he did for the next two years. Are you got, but at the same time, you're still feeling you're, you can't stop the feeling. So you're right. you're starting you're you're now opening your mind up to I guess we would say in that point a secular world. Yes. Okay. Yeah, for the next 2 years quietly by himself without me without me by his side doing that too. So so if down. you're finding yourself out how's your marriage at that time? It was good. Yeah. It's fine. You it didn't just, feel like you didn't feel anything that was out of the ordinary. He was still putting the tie on and going every Sunday. Yeah. He still went and we just didn't talk about it. He knew it wasn't something that would strengthen our marriage, so it wasn't something we talked about. Okay. And I didn't know he was struggling as much as he was either. And what were you feeling? I was just focused on work. I was focused on work, just progressing in work and other parts of my life. And I was, I couldn't stand going through church and just like, I couldn't nod my head and agree with everybody. So I just stay quiet, stay quiet, just keep the peace. Yeah. He just kept the peace for a while. But once we got to Houston, things kind of shifted. Uh Oh, yeah. What's the shift? Oh, come on, let's get in the shift. Come on, get in it, girl. No, come on, you, girl. it's your it's your shift. No, no. Oh, oh it's well, well but, it's both. So uh, I there we go. Houston was awesome. Houston was great. We loved it. I think being away from so humid. It is. Oh yeah, humid. I sweat. Oh, it's so. Bad. I'm sweating in here, and I every time I go to Houston, I'm like, how do you live in this swamp? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, and Mormons have to wear a special underwear. Imagine wearing that under your clothes. It's rough. Rough times. Anyways, that's why I wasn't chosen. <laughs> that might have sounded disrespectful. I don't mean it that way. Get over it. <laughs> no, you just stay with that. You keep it. <laughs> okay. No, but I think we had we had both gone from church raised home, church mission, church college, church like living always. The church was always a part of everything we did. So if you were moving to Houston, do you do you call the pastor at that church and you're like, hey, we're moving over there? And they kind of like bring you in the herd. And- oh, immediately. Yeah, you have they- a whole new friend group within one Sunday. Yeah. Your zip code is aligned with a certain group. So they have you pin- pinpointed down. Oh, they know where you're at all it's the a, time. It's a great. They're good at networking NSA. and community. Actually, it's really good. Uh, Insta community. But once we went to. <laughs> kind of. Scary. Okay. So, but Houston gave us a, like a fresher breath of breath of a fresher fresh, breath, a fresher breath, air, a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. and kind of allowed us some space to really figure out who we were aside from all these communities. We had kind of been pushed around with religion. And so we both started delving into things with social media. Information is endless, endless. And I don't think religion in general or anything that claims to have the truth, I mean, they need to be prepared for that. For social media? For information. The, age of oh. the fact that you have everything in your hand and pocket at all times if you have a question. And I don't think if you're going to make a lot of truth claims, um, you need to be prepared for that. I think that's why we're seeing the roasting of so many politicians. Exactly. It's all out there now. And it's all out there. You can't which, hide anything. Which I, I think we are okay with. The yeah. truth is out there. You can find it. You will find it. And we found it. We found it in Houston. We both did. And and what did that look like? So, so, you're, so how long were you in Houston? We were there for a year. Okay. You were there for a year and then you decided to go home. Yeah. And so the, here's the dynamic. So we're in Houston. We're in Houston. And finally, Louisa brings up her doubts and I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. She's, <laughs> she's out, whatever. I had some and, major doubts. And we're still struggling with it. And I'm still like halfway in, halfway out. And then I get a phone call while well, I was progressing in the company, having a lot of success and like, Hey, you're going to go out to Florida. You're going to take on this project on the beach. And I was like, oh yeah, perfect. Yeah. So Lou was like all on board. Hell yeah. And then my dad calls up. Hey, and I was like, hey, what's going on, man? I I need help. I'm like, what? This this man has never asked for help in his life from anybody. 
And so I get real emotional. And then he's like, yeah, I have a feeling you should go back. And I'm like, okay, you got a feeling. And so that's probably coming from God. Let me pray to God to see if I should go back. And then I'm having this whole emotional turmoil. I'm like, man, my dad needs help. He's never needed help. And so I was like, man, we got to go back. And well, you prayed about it and you opened your scriptures and it was this whole spiritual like it was Bronson's last shot at I'm going to trust in everything you've grown up believing. Exactly. And so he put everything every ounce of his spirituality that he had left into this decision. I mean, he's cried and prayed and read verse after verse to try and figure out if this was the right choice. Cause we had just left Mexico and now his dad wouldn't him back. Just didn't make sense. And to me, I just rolled my eyes and was like, here we go again. And he, he took his dad's request to come back as a, as in, a the Mormon, in the Mormon religion, the, the man of the home is the patriarch. And what they say is, is, from God. And, be. and so I'm tying all these emotions I'm feeling from. Hey, like, Katie, we need to start looking into. No, I'm sorry. Oh, don't. <laughs> no. She'll choke no. me. And so, like, I'm tying in these emotions I'm feeling from my dad asking for help, but tying that into, like, God saying it's a sign I should go back. But it's, all it was is emotions looking back. I was just emotional because it's, you know. Legacy. My daddy. It's, it's your dad. My legacy, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And so we pack up and go. Luis is pissed. And then we get there, we get to Mexico. Scale of one to ten, how pissed are you? Oh, I was a solid nine. Ooh. I was not happy about it. Bronson's sleeping on the couch. I loved our freedom. Oh, yeah. She loved her life. And I was like, no, this is what God wants us to do. It, was a, it turned into a God wants us to do this. And then the first day we get there, all packed up. Right when we get there, oh, the hailstorm just went through, held out the whole farm, our first day of picking chili. So there goes all the money. It was bad. It's a bad storm. Twenty right before we roll up, and so we went into a shitty ass situation. And then once I got there, my dad's like, "I didn't, I didn't have that feeling that God wanted to be there, but yeah, I, I do want you." And so it just messed me up, like my mentality, like, "Oh, I thought this came from God. I was supposed to be here. Now it's not." And now it just held. We have no money coming. And now in. we have no hell. You've and got so- two young children. You've got Louisi, Louisi. You got Lou on a scale of one to ten, a nine, about to roast you. It was bad times. Did you have a beard? No. 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 (laughs) He he needed a That's probably what that's probably what saved me is growing the beard. Let's just not go back there again. And so yeah, and so it was it was it was a rough circumstance. Uh, there was debt. Um a lot of debt. A lot of debt. And so I was I was just living off what I'd earned in Houston for the first six months until we can get into the next harvest. Stressed out. Stressed you were calling out. construction companies trying to get another job because you were basically real you realized this wasn't the right decision and you wanted to change that. And so I was going through a lot of things. I went through a faith crisis and so I I, I was just like calling bullshit on like what I was I was just kinda I had an anger. I had anger towards people lying to me. Mm-hmm. I was pissed. And then I just turned that pissed into just like going after everything I couldn't farm. And so I rented a farm on my own, did it all on my own, got the financing, got that up and going, had an amazing year the next year, rented another farm, did the same thing, was able to offer my dad be like, hey, um, can I buy the farm? Make payments. And so he's like, yeah. And at that point, me and my dad's relationship was amazing amazing because i just told him the truth how i was feeling i'd never told him how i was feeling what i was thinking i never opened up to the dude uh had opened up a lot with mormonism i thought he wanted nothing to do with me when we left the church when we were back into mexico i thought had you left the church when you went back to mexico no we were still all in he didn't know that we were in mexico for two years before i expressed the the doubt like Hey, which was a huge risk because his dad would not hire him or we couldn't partner if I wasn't a worthy member of the Mormon church. Once he had the card because of your dad's faith. Yes. Okay. And so this unsaid, well, no, it was said. He said said. part of the contract partnership is that I had to hold a Mormon temple recommend, which means it's like your worthiness card to enter into the temple of God. You know, Albuquerque has a big white temple, Salt Lake City. You know, you see him. It was one of the drugs. Enter. So enter there. You can't drink alcohol. You can't smoke. You can't. Uh, do shady business. You have to give 10% of your money back to the church every year. Bunch of rules to get their worthiness card. And so he said, is it, a, is it an actual card? Yeah. Yes, it's an actual card with a barcode. 
I used to have mine, but I burned it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love Mormons, I'm, but I'm going to just say the truth, man. Yeah, I love no, Mormons. No disrespect. No, no disrespect he, at all. He knew. We knew after two years of living in Mexico, like we had already been struggling with our faith. We finally and we were living in a Mormon town, mind you. Mormon colony. Mormon that's why it's colony. white people are down there. It's the only reason. Yeah, that's the only reason we're there is from Mormons back in the past. I watched Hill on Wheels. Mormons were some tough man pajamas. Oh, yeah. yeah. Rebels. That's why. That's why. I don't know where we want to go with the story, but I'll tell you the story later sometime. Why Mormons are in Mexico. Uh, right now sounds like a great time. Let's go for it. I mean, we're here and it's getting hotter in here. So I feel like I'm losing weight. Let's go. All right. I'll take off my shirt. Let's go. No, no, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa, whoa. Everyone's seen my nipples on Instagram. I've seen them a lot. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. Whoa. I just love fresh air. Anyway, so yeah. I've got too much hair. <laughs> doesn't matter. It's like a tarp on grass over here. Okay, go for it. So why are Mormons in Mexico? And so in 1885, uh, the law came down in Utah for any Mormon that had more than one wife living in polygamy that they were going to lock them up, put them in jail. And so my ancestors wanted to keep their wives, so they headed down south of the border to escape the law. And so my ancestors just broke barefoot, but he's got a couple wives. You know, he's 1885 ends up, they colonized 10 different places in Mexico. In the Chihuahua region? In yes. the Chihuahua region and Sonora, I believe. And so that's how we started. Uh, you'll, hear, you, you'll hear a different story from Mormons telling it, not as, you know. Like trying to stay with their multiple wives? Yeah, yeah, they won't. Yeah. And so that's why we went down there and then we ended up being successful. I mean, everyone went down there with nothing, uh, started agriculture up there in the mountains, cattle and all that. And then eventually Mormon church said, Hey, you can't have any more wives. Like what was that? Early 1900s. Yeah. And so they stopped that practice, but stayed in Mexico. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's that why we're in Mexico. And so we polygamy made Mexico Mormon. Yes. Mormon Mexicans. Yes. And so after Houston, instead of going to the farm, Asuncion, a purely Mexi Mexican town, we went to the Mormon colony. And so everything's in English. Everyone's Mormon. And so that's where we ended up, why we were going through the faith crisis. And everyone was pissed at us that we we're questioning the church because you're not supposed to do that. And you, if you have questions, hide it. If you're drinking, drink in the closet, like any of that. If you're drinking, drink in the closet. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. my buddies are like 30, like in their late 30s 40, and 40s with 40s. five teenagers, four teenagers, and they can't drink in public or in front of their parents or at a restaurant, but they drink in the closet. It's a interesting culture. Mind blown. Yeah. I, and I can't live that way. Yeah, we cannot live that way. So so you you now have your own farm. That where we where we separated off with the history of Mormons in Mexico was you your dad said if you don't hold the card we right. can't be business partners. Yes. So what did you do? And then I I built up the courage and I was like, man, I'm gonna have to pack my bags. The partnership's done. Are I'm you sick of moving church. by now, Lou? Are you over it? I'm a big move. My dad is military, so ah, I actually love she, it. She I'm adapts over and it. overcomes, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so, so I just went to my dad and like, man, I'm, I'm done. And so I just told him about everything. This is how I feel. I'm, I'm, I'm out of the church. And then he's just like, this is three years ago. Yeah. And then we we're in the living room and he's like, he's like, okay, that's fine. I love you. Thanks for being honest. And I was like, what? I'm had you bought his farm yet. And so it was three years ago. So I think I made one payment. And so we were just barely in the partnership and made one payment. And what did he say about continuing the partnership? Oh, he was all on board. He, he, I saw a different side of him and I saw that he respected my honesty and my transparency, authenticity. I thought he was, I, I thought I was done. I thought I was going back to the U S you know, we were ready. We were literally ready to go. We did not know he was going to respond that way. And it turned out to be the biggest blessing ever is just to be myself, speak my truth. And he had so much more respect. We bonded, become buddies. I mean, everything. He trusts me a lot because I'm just speaking the truth. I'm not hiding anything anymore, you know? And then that right there is the history of the blues. 
part one. I would really, really, really like to dive into where you are today, what makes you tick and those kind of things. Um, but we're going to hold off until the next episode to get into what is going on in today's life, how you feel about one getting out of the church, uh, where you're at spiritually, where you're at mentally, where you're at with your farm, with your kids, with your all of those kind of things. So I just want to say this right now. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. And I know it's weird. I'm cutting you short. Like you're thinking, what in the world? We're just going to have to bring the, the, the blues back. You guys okay with that? I'm on board. Oh, let's come. Okay, it's happening. Here we go. Three, two, one. Thanks for listening to this op- episode of Out Here in the Middle. That's my best NPR impersonation. Uh, do we get in trouble for saying NPR in here? No, we don't. No, they don't even know who we are. Yeah, so I hope this is burning a good, good little hole in the side of your ear hole. Because there's some good information that's coming down the pipeline, baby. Lou, Bronson, thank you. Gracias, compa. Yep.